0: reading today is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 to 6. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need like some people letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are letter written on our hearts known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ the result of our ministry written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life.
1: If it was a crime... If it was a crime to be a Christian in this country, would they find enough evidence about you to prove you guilty of being a Christian? What would be the case against you? Honesty, integrity, kindness, a pleasant person to be with, perhaps other things. Now while Paul defends his own ministry and challenges the Corinthian listeners, he nevertheless is encouraged by their witness, because if you like, they themselves are the evidence of the effectiveness of his ministry with them. He says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone. But on tablets of human hearts. You will recall that looking at 2 Corinthians, we said that there were a group of people that were comparing themselves to Paul, a number of preachers. And these particular preachers that were opposed to Paul, they themselves carried letters of recommendation. If you like, they had a long list of people who approved of them. They would cite names of perhaps other churches or other people, well-known people, and they carried these letters. And they criticized Paul. Where is his letter? Who approves him? Why can he not have a letter? Paul says, surely I need no letter to give because you and your very existence is all the commendation that I need. Paul's letter of accreditation is not a confidential piece of paper that's handed around a few select people, but if you like a piece of heavenly graffiti displayed for everyone to see in the Christian testimony of the men and women who had found Christ through his ministry in the city of Corinth. The real authentication of the work was the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of these people. The testimony to what Christ had done in them. The commendation, it's outward, it's public, it's open. Hearts have been changed. God wants our lives to be an open letter. So if you think of your life as a letter that someone will read, go back to the opening question, if it was a crime to be a Christian, and your life is like a letter and people are reading that letter, will they say, yeah, we have enough to convict There's enough evidence here to persuade us that this person is a genuine Christian because we can read the letter of their lives. We can see what has been done in their lives. We don't need any secret documents. We don't need to go to any other source of information because we can see that the hand of God has written in this invisible ink upon the lives of these Christians. Paul says at the end of this chapter, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What's happening, what Paul is describing there in verse 18 is the continuation of God writing biography in our lives. He's completing, he's completing the letter. He's completing the book. He's writing the script. It's not something that is done on the moment we become Christians. It's something that continues to be written, where we are transformed into the likeness of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ in ever-increasing steps of glory, as we steadfastly behold the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says that it is clear that he doesn't need a written letter because these people are all the evidence that anyone needs, that the Holy Spirit has been at work. It's clear also that the new covenant is vastly superior to the Old Covenant. But even back in the days of the Old Covenant, it was an open thing. The glory of God is displayed in the face of Moses. How much more, then, is the glory of God displayed through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Since we have such a hope in the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ought to be something that should be open and broadcast. We should allow ourselves to be an open book, an open letter for all to read of what God in Christ has done. The old covenant glory was a physical radiance that shone from the face of Moses, but the new covenant glory is a moral radiance that transforms the inner character of God's people. The Holy Spirit penetrates the very heart of a person, and the change is into the likeness of Christ in these ever-increasing steps of glory. How can that be hidden? How can that be veiled? How can we possibly be a secret disciple? How can we live with that and try to keep it a private thing Why would we want to keep that to ourselves? Now, when we look at the Apostle Paul, you have to ask the question Paul, why would you want to be a preacher? You had a promising academic career in front of you, you could have been a professor of Old Testament at the University of Jerusalem. You almost certainly would have succeeded Gamaliel when he retired. But instead of that, you gave that all up so that you could become a Christian missionary. Surely that's a waste of talent, a waste of ability. You could have put yourself to better use. Have you no regrets when you think of the grief that this job has brought you? There have been worries, there have been hardships, there have been beatings, there have been imprisonments, there have been sleepless nights, poverty, sickness, and that doesn't even include half the misery that Paul experienced. And do the people that you've worked with, do they really care? If the churches that you have worked with and served have expressed some kind of gratitude for all your sacrifice? But most of them, and especially this church in Corinth, have given you many headaches and heartaches. This lot in Corinth, the grief and the hostility and the scorn that his own fellow countrymen, over an 18-month period, as he planted that church in Corinth, they made life so difficult for him and then less than two years after having moved on, trouble is brewing for you, Paul, again from this church, from within this church itself. So much grief is coming your way that you can't even focus on the new door that has opened for you in Troas, because you are dogged by the concern and the worry of what's happening to these Christians in Corinth. Do you ever ask yourself, Why do you bother? Why didn't you stay at university? You could have had an international reputation by this time. You could have had peace at night to sleep in your bed, but instead you've gone chasing off around the Mediterranean, preaching the gospel. What is the point of it all? And the answer is the people themselves. They are the storybook that speaks out about what Christ has done through the ministry of Paul. Paul has the Corinthians written upon his own heart. They were his spiritual children. These people were the evidence of the power of the gospel and the fruit of his ministry. This is more than some letter that might have been written, a a letter of commendation that could have been read by a few people, but what has been written in the lives of these people is something that can be read by all. The Church of Corinth was an open letter of Christ to the world, a declaration of the power of God to change lives. Now as we think of the these people, and we're calling them a letter, we need to realize that while Paul ministered among these people, that Paul himself was not the author of the letter. They were a letter from Christ. Christ was the author of the letter that spoke of Paul's ministry among them. Paul looks back to the tablets of stone that The law had been written upon by the finger of God. You remember the Ten Commandments were written on two slabs of stone. Those Ten Commandments were written by the finger of God. The tremendous superiority of the New Covenant is this, verse 3. You show that you are a letter from Christ. The result of our ministry Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of the human heart. Here is something that the Spirit of God has written upon their hearts. you recall that back in the Old Testament that God promised through the prophet Ezekiel, that a time would come when he would change the hearts of the people. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. Now again, Jeremiah records a very similar promise. He says that the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And this is the parallel that Paul is drawing here in Second Corinthians chapter 3 where he's comparing the old with the new covenant. And he says, here's a letter that is being written by the Holy Spirit, not on tablets of stone, but upon your heart. I have taken away that stony heart and given you a heart of flesh. I have written my law upon your heart and caused you to want to do things my way. This shows us the nature of the work that Christ does and in us. We remain the very same people, but our hearts have become radically new. God has written his law within us. Through these, as Peter says, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the, in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God has made it possible for us to participate in living the Christian life because he has done something to our our hearts. He has written biography. He has written his law upon our hearts, changing what our will is, changing what our desire is where Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Along with this new heart, the new covenant promised a new relationship, a new knowledge, real forgiveness. And God has promised that he will be our God and we will be his people. That is a precious thought that runs from Genesis to Revelation. It's something you could look up on your computer or on a concordance if you're still working with those things these days, to see the number of times where God says in his word, I will be your God and you will be my people. You'll read it right into the book of Revelation and you'll see that in the end time, that's what the declaration will be. I am your God and you are my people. What a privilege it is for those of us who were once not a people, now to be called the people of God, and for God to be writing things in our lives. An open letter, an open book, a testimony of what the Holy Spirit is doing for us. So as we understand that, we too, in Hounslow, Are the letter of Christ. What greeting does our lives give out to other people? What message do we spread to others? If Christianity were a crime, would there be enough that people could read from the letter of our lives that would bring a verdict that we definitely do belong to the Lord? Paul had engaged in this ministry which had borne fruit. But the competency of his ministry was not in his own ability, was not in his, how much he was in contact with the reality of what was going on in the world. The knowledge of that would certainly be helpful. The competency of his ministry was not himself but was God. Look at verses 4 to 6. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We too can have confidence in our service, confidence in our walk with God, because as we walk with God, we walk in Christ. We stand in Christ before our Heavenly Father. Very soon we will... Come to the Lord's table where the question is always one of competency or sufficiency. How dare we come to the Lord's table? This is the Lord's table. How dare we come to the Lord's table? Well, we will dare We do dare. We will come because, first of all, God in Christ has equipped us to come. We have been made sufficient to come because Christ is our sufficiency. We will come also because we have been invited by the Lord to come to his table. You are my family, you are my sons and daughters. God invites us to come and we come in the worth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our competence is not in ourselves, but it is in Christ. God equips us to live the Christian life. <clears throat> Again in Peter it tells us His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So he has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Christ. It's through Christ that we have this ability to live the godly life. We have everything that we need. We are equipped to live the Christian life. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the, in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world because caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Can you see that life continues on? It's not just that I have been saved, that I have been baptized, that I am now in church membership. That's not the end of the letter. That's not the conclusion of the book. In many ways, it's merely the beginning Because God continues to develop us when we are being changed in ever-increasing steps of glory or when we're changed by making every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and so on. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see that God has written his law upon our hearts, causing us to want to do things his way, giving us that desire, giving us everything that we need to live the godly life, in order that we might not prove to be ineffective or unproductive? You see, God is not looking for gifted people but for weak people who will give themselves to him. This part of 2 Corinthians is both a challenge to us and an encouragement. A challenge as it asks of us what kind of story What kind of narrative is being read by others as they look upon us? Whether that's at work, whether it's at home, whether that's in the neighborhood. The amazing thing is that Paul would describe the Corinthian Christians as a letter that commended his ministry. I was sort of thinking today as I was thinking over this church, what if I received a call to be the minister in Corinth? Who hates me that much that they would want to do that to me? That would be a very natural reaction. But look at how Paul describes them. That there is evidence of the grace of God in their lives. You only have to read through 1 Corinthians and you'll see the mess, the moral mess that many had got themselves into. The theological mess where they had turned things upside down and they had used the teaching of Scripture as a kind of license to sin. Yes, there would have been a tough bunch to minister to. We read of so many problems that existed, yet there was evidence of a work of grace in their lives. That's encouraging, because when I think of our own lives, when I think of what will it be like when the Lord Jesus Christ hands out rewards, for the work that we have done for him. You start to try and do a little mental list. What have I done? And then you see that the Lord Jesus Christ himself describes it this way. A glass of water given in my name. Jesus, did you notice that? Did, Did you see that simple thing? I have have done that so many times and I never really thought of that as, as being a great spiritual service, as being a mighty work of holiness. But yet in grace and in mercy that you have acknowledged such a simple thing and to hand out reward for a glass of water given in my name. And you can see the grace of God as he looks upon this church in Corinth with all the mess that they had got themselves into. But yet, Paul still can recognize the signs that the Holy Spirit had written in their lives, had written upon their hearts, had caused them to want to do things his way. And so he wasn't discouraged. He didn't give up. He didn't say it would have been better for me to have been a professor back there in the university. But as God has called me to be the apostle to the Gentiles, and because my competency is in God rather than in myself, I'm not looking to me to be a success. I'm looking to God who blesses, perhaps blesses in ways that we do not see. Sometimes I think that God saves up good news. A piece of good news takes place. Something that he has done through us. And he doesn't let you know about it. Until maybe a few years roll by and someone comes to you at a point when you need it. And they tell you about something that happened a few years ago. And God keeps the good news. We serve a gracious God. The encouragement comes from the the fact that Paul shows us how the service in the church is not in vain. Through the ministry of church members, through the ministry of the deacons and the elders and the ministers, God is writing in each of our lives, it is Christ who is the penman, but he's using his people as servants, encouraging one another, building each other up. That is why it is not a futile thing, and that is why it is worthwhile to keep on serving the Lord because our competency is in Him. It is a <clears throat> an encouraging thing to come to the table, because here we are very forcibly reminded that when it comes to competencies, sufficiency, it definitely is the Lord Jesus Christ that enables us to be able to come to take bread and to take the cup. As we think of the, the letter of our lives as a letter, we, we think, oh my, what's written there? What would people see? What would they think? And that could cause us to bow our heads with a little bit of discouragement. And then we realize that Christ is the pen man. And that our competency, our sufficiency is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our confidence is in Christ. And it is because of Christ. Not because we've prayed today. Not because we've read our Bible today. Not because we've been to church today. But because of Christ we can come and take bread and take the cup. Now it is required of those who participate in this meal that we should be Christians. So if you're not a Christian, you ought not to to take the bread or the cup